0: Hiya, oh yeah, how's it going? Um, you join me once again in the uh, Milking It library. I'm here enjoying a brandy and sucking on a fat Cuban. This week we discuss uh, the geek news of the week. We also get into two very long discussions. One is on He-Man, uh, which I am over-enthusiastic about when we uh, discuss it. And the other is uh, me taking Boo uh, in a walk down memory lane when we discuss the wonder that was LucasArts and their point-and-click adventures. So please, enjoy. Uh, pop your earphones in, or indeed see back on the couch and put it on your surround sound. However you listen to us, thank you for listening to us. This is the Milking It Podcast. have got the feeling. Welcome to the milking it podcast episode five the podcast that tugs the teeth of popular culture until it explodes all over your face i'm david davis and i am Boulamont, and here we are yet again thank you very much there might have been some confusion because there was a mini milk that snuck out in the middle of the week uh it was the vino with dino which was our little chat on friday night uh, i'm sure you remember it boo uh, it was most enjoyable, David. Indeed. So uh, that was a little sort of 40, 45 minute podcast for you to listen to. It's just a little treat for those who tug the teat. But this is the proper one. This is episode five in the sequential sequence that is the Milking It podcast. Uh, so today we've got a whole list of stuff for us to uh, for just to chit chat about. Uh, thank you very much, as always, to the people that follow us on uh, Facebook at uh, www.facebook.com forward slash milking it and uh, who have followed us on Twitter at teat tugger, the Twitter that I. Every week I say he's going to get better, and every week I forget to post anything on. Um, So we're going to have lots of bits and pieces to chat about. Um, We're going to discuss a little bit about GTA, we're going to talk about Agents of the Shield, we're going to talk about Seth Fowler's dads, and then we'll get into a couple of big topics. Yes, He-Man, as we promised last week when we were chit-chatting. We're going to have a proper little discussion about He-Man, and then I am going to take Boo on a little tour around LucasArts adventure games.
1: Looking forward to it, Dave. I am a big big fan of LucasArts games, but I know that you've played a lot more um, of the adventure games as I ha- uh, than I have. I was always a kind of a Star Wars-y guy, so I'm really looking forward to checking out your list. Um, some really exciting stuff happening this week for video games, obviously for the run-up to Christmas. There has been a, a not officially announced game, but there has been a game that has near enough been confirmed that... Um, everyone has been waiting for and that's Half-Life 3 so I'm looking forward to having a little chit chat about Half-Life with you Dave because I know you're not a big well, not you're not a fan of the series but you haven't had the opportunity to play it as much as I have absolutely so sit back relax <laughs>
0: put up a chair have a drink whatever you want to do it's the milking it podcast <laughs> Okay, so uh, let's get into some geek news from this week. Uh, it's been quite the week indeed for a few bits and pieces that we want to talk about. And the first thing obviously is uh, is massive. It's all over Twitter. It's all over Facebook. Anyone who follows me on uh, Facebook, uh, on my personal site, will have seen my feelings about it last night. But uh, it's the fact that yesterday, uh, in, in terms of when we're recording, I suppose when you're listening to it, it doesn't really matter. But uh, yesterday in the world, GTA went online. It went online, and here's a quick snippet of me playing. Yeah, because no one could get online last night to play it. No one could get... I went on at half two this morning, and I couldn't get online to play it. And you know what? At the end of the day, I don't mind. I'll wait a couple of weeks and and see what happens. But there's been a lot of anger directed towards Rockstar about this, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, um, I was about to say, I did read your comment last night, um, which basically, if you you, you don't follow Dave on Facebook, was along the lines of, you know yeah fuck them they've given you like an amazingly brilliant story story mode and this really amazing game, but you know, oh, but the online 's not quite ready, so fuck them, yeah, like no i 'm totally with you they've given they have given the public the most amazing experience that this generation has had to offer so far, and people are moaning because there's some teething problems with online. I, I'm i in the same camp as you. I'm going to wait another week or so, get on that, and I'm sure it's going to be fixed and brilliant, and I'm really looking forward to it. And um, I have no hard feelings towards Rockstar whatsoever, because as I said, they have delivered one of the best games I've ever played in my life.
0: Completely. I think I think the, the people today who are moaning, and uh, there wasn't a lot on there, I suppose most of the people were probably at school, but... Um, th- for the majority, it was just disappointing to see people saying or claiming that the game wasn't as good as they thought it was going to be because of this and everything else. It's like, no, I'm sorry, the, the online is a completely separate world. It's completely separate to the actual game itself. The game is brilliant. It delivers on every level structurally. Storyline is just brilliant. The, the voice acting, the the animation on it is wonderful. The missions themselves are not repetitive. It's just a good, fun game to play. And like I said, it is without a doubt the the crowning jewel of this generation and to then dismiss it because you can't (coughs) get online and go rob a bank with your mates i'm sorry go and play payday 2 or whatever if you want to do that just give it a few weeks see how it goes it was always going to be a problem The, the biggest issue that i found last night and the thing that that struck me yet again is that microsoft's servers Could not cope with it. Aside from what you know, the issues that Rockstar had and the issues that that they were saying they they you know were doing what they could to fix was the fact that Xbox Live as a whole could not cope with the amount of people trying to go on there. So Microsoft are pitching these consoles, the Xbox One especially coming up obviously in November, but they're pitching these consoles. And the, the current Xbox has been this entertainment hub and this wonderful world that you can get online and join your friends and everything else. But the moment where the vast majority of people who have that particular entertainment hub want to get online, the whole thing goes down. So their their online service <laughs> is based on the idea that only a small percentage of you will ever want to be online at any one time. That, for me, is pretty poor.
1: It actually um, reminded me of another news item from earlier in the week. Um, the the new series of South Park started, and mm-hmm. there was a new intro in a new animation style. A uh, beautiful, th- beautiful. Very much so. And one of the first comments I saw under the video of the new intro was, well, that's South Park ruined. That's jump the shark. If you Yeah, yeah. If you haven't seen the new intro, it's done in like a 2D, uh, 3D kind of... Uh, it, it, it's a really beautiful animation style and i for one wouldn't mind seeing an entire one a one-off episode in that animation you know they are the fans are right you do want to stick with tradition and it is you know it's an it's a it's the animated series it's got a certain look about it but i thought the new intro looked great and um again it's people bitching about a small thing um you know oh they've given you what is it now it's like nearly 17 years of of 13, 14 years of, of top quality entertainment. But, you know, the new introduction, oh, it's ruined.
0: Absolutely. A classic case of people throwing out the baby with the bathwater. It really is. I think just chill out, sit back, relax. Go and watch something else. Go and play something else. Concentrate on finishing the campaign if you haven't finished the campaign. But it's going to be the best online experience forever because it's going to be the online experience, as is proved by the amount of people who tried to get online, it's going to be the online experience that the casual gamer will enjoy. I consider myself a casual gamer, despite whatever I do for a living. Um, you know, And I would say it's the one thing that's
1: appealed for me to go online. Totally. I mean, I'm... I'm not per se an online guy, but um, the, you know there is there is so much uh, so many options for stuff to do in the in the GTA Online that there's going to be something for everyone. I mean, I I personally I'm not a fan of racing they're no. always my least favorite missions in the game like that's Absolutely. what i did a lot the last thing i did as franklin was was finish those you know the racing missions because they're just not of interest so for me you know the racing's not so interesting but the, the whole idea of running around and you know there being other actual people there they touched on it in gta 4 they had the cops and robbers mode and that was quite good but um i think this is going to be the online gta experience people have been waiting for absolutely so there we go
0: if anyone wants to join boo and myself online uh, for a nice game of golf in gta 5 then uh, give us your uh, gamer tags via the facebook page forward slash milking
1: it and talking of south park david there's been a couple of uh, tv shows that have hmm. come out over the last couple of weeks uh, one in particular people have been waiting for and one of interest to me uh, was a new sitcom that had been torn to shreds by the critics hmm. um But they actually had a good comeback. Uh, The program is the new Seth MacFarlane show called Dads. It's uh, Seth Green, um, you know, obviously a a guy that's worked with Seth MacFarlane before. Uh, The premise is it's two guys. They own a a video game company uh, making games. And uh, their older fathers find themselves in a situation where they're living with their sons. It's got a lot of family guy-esque humor. Uh, Episode 2 just been just. I've just seen a uh, really funny, and um, the, the episode revolved around hash brownies. Um, right. So, um, like traditional seventh fun fair, but um, the, the the pilot uh, had been mauled by critics, and uh, they actually went. I think it was a, uh, I'm not sure which comic convention or t- or convention, uh, but there was a, a comic convention or a TV convention where. Um, they had uh the the critics had um said all this stuff so they read a criticism out loud on the microphone and said oh sorry that last one was actually the the uh, criticism for the pilot episode of the big bang theory which as everyone knows has gone on to much much success yeah um internationally Um, it's huge over here as well um but i uh i actually because of the critics mauling it so much i went to to, to look at damage control and um mm. i found it to be one of the funniest sitcoms i've seen in years uh, and it continued with episode two so i'm I, i'm recommending seth mcfarlane's dads uh not just to you but to everybody um when if you can get a copy or, or episodes um i'm sure it will be brought over to the uk soon if not mm. i should check it out sir and the second one david um i know you're not a marvel fan you're a dc guy through, and through. <laughs> i've made this clear on previous podcasts, you have the, made this my clear previous podcasts however um were you a fan of buffy or angel at all or firefly uh i was um uh,
0: shall we say a closeted fan of buffy i was definitely a fan of angel uh but firefly passed me by sorry
1: uh terribly firefly passed me by as well and everyone tells me that i need mm. to watch it i will get on that at some point but um this week uh, saw the the first episode of Joss Whedon's um, Marvel Universe TV show, The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, really enjoyed it, traditional Joss Whedon fare, and it's, um, it's going to bridge the gap for the casual fans that went to the cinema to see um, The Avengers, of course, and um, he's done a really good job with it. So uh, I don't know whether you've managed to catch it yet um I, it, it's on my generic uh
0: hd recorder of tv what comes through a satellite um and i have linked it to a series link because I'm, I'm the kind of guy that if i watch a first episode and i really enjoy it i want to watch the second episode straight away so i'm, I'm waiting to have two episodes on there and i will sit down i think it's sunday night because it's on channel four isn't it um so yeah i'm
1: gonna sit down sunday night and i'll i shall watch both episodes and i'll let you know what i think I actually think you'll enjoy it because it's a tight script. It's a good cast and it's got genuinely laugh out loud moments. And as a comic book fan, it's, it's got kind of like the few, some, some gadgets in there and some, yeah. some uh, traditional comic book fare. So I think you I think you'll really dig it. I know that a lot of people have enjoyed it. It's been getting good reviews and, um, there is already merchandise. So that's, that kind of shows you how much faith they've got in this show. And um, lastly, before we got off TV, there was one other kind of announcement this week that, um, Put the fear in me. I don't mm. know if you remember, but a couple of years ago, uh, there was a, hell, uh, a hellblazer, but uh, the film was called Constantine starring Keanu Reeves. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it wasn't a bad film. It was just not good. It, it was just a meh film. It, um, if you'd read any of the source material, which I haven't they couldn't have got it more wrong John you know he's Aspects. British for a start John Constantine he's, he's British and a um, heavy smoker and he's cocked so <laughs> couldn't have got that more wrong we you know we were expecting kind of you know Michael caine bit of cockney but yeah. um, what we actually got was uh, Bill and Ted so just a bit of cock <laughs> But um so there's the, there's a possibility of a Constantine TV show. Uh, I mean, obviously, with the news of the Commissioner Gordon TV show, oh, it I was seems... going to mention that <laughs> we, we we did actually mention it on the last Milking mm. It podcast, David. And um I reckon that this is the kind of the door that's being opened for more superhero TV shows. DC had Smallville and uh, is it Arrow? I I, mm. I I don't. Want, I haven't watched. Yes, Dave.
0: yeah, Arrow, which is obviously the <coughs> Green Arrow, but yeah, it, it, done in a very different way. Which is uh, the Green Arrow they're going to use to introduce the Flash character, um, the Barry Allen Flash, uh, who will then develop into his own series. So there'll be a Flash TV series. Um, but yes, obviously the the Gotham, the, uh, the which sounds to me sounds very interesting. And the more I've heard about it as the week's gone on. I think it could work because they're talking about it in a sort of smallville way in this in the sense of smallville there was no there was no cape there was no flying it was just you know it was he was superman yeah. you knew it and it was it was always hinted at but they're saying right there will be no batman in the Gotham TV series which would be interesting because they're saying there might be no batman but but uh, Gordon is going to be going up against the villains and the supervillains that batman then has
1: to come and sort out and to be fair to, to to Batman as as a character, mm-hmm. the the villains have always been the most interesting aspect of that universe.
0: Completely, yeah. I mean, yes, Batman is the greatest superhero of all time. He is the person that we should all want to be. However, <coughs> I agree that the the supporting cast
1: makes Batman. Just quickly, but um, you said that they were doing a Flash TV show.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Uh, I don't. Do you remember the nineties?
0: i certainly do um i remember mark hamill being in a couple of episodes and i I wish i could remember the name of the character but the the, that character then led to him playing the joker because of the way that he played that particular character um it was um they're all on youtube if you go on YouTube, you can see episodes of the original flash tv series and um to say they got it wrong is putting it mildly (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh it it was particularly awful the the flash is a very difficult character to do um once you move away from the comic books because as a still picture of the flash works you you see what he's doing he's moving fast there's lines coming out the back of him but the you get into the the moving picture and it's kind of well is is that it he just does he just run fast and then they have to introduce the idea of oh no but he can run so fast he can bend molecules, or oh, he can run so fast he can go back in time, or oh, we've we've given him this big structure thing that he can run on like a treadmill, and he can suddenly be in a different parallel universe, and uh, it's, the Flash as a concept is not very exciting. Um, however, it'd be interesting to see how they do it um, and if it plays in with the, the the Arrow, and which has been very very successful as a TV series, and certainly a lot more successful than Birds of Prey. Um, but, Indeed. You know, I,
1: I remain to be impressed. I, I hope it's going to be really good. So it's going to. It looks like there's going to be a golden age for superhero TV shows coming soon. David, the announcement we've all been waiting for has finally come. Apparently, mm. um, because yesterday it was reported that Valve had trademarked uh, or and uh, legally protected the name Half-Life Three, uh, and today there was a bit of murmuring online um, that they had found out that there is a team working on Half-Life Three. Mm. So it very much looks like the. Uh, the series may get a satisfying, well, a conclusion at the very least. Did you play any of the previous Half-Lives, Dave? Is it bad if I say no? I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. It's kind of bad. Um, You're you're a console gamer, and Mm -hmm. until the Orange Box was released uh, on the 360 and the PS3, there wasn't a lot of Half-Life available. Uh, There was um, Half-Life 1 on the... P, uh, PS2 right. um, and There was a Dreamcast version that was Proposed but unfortunately the Dreamcast died a death Before they had a, a copy of Half-Life 1 uh, And then Half-Life 2 I have I have played Half-Life 2 So many times to, to, to completion I just love it It's one of the, one of the, my fav- my most favourite games Of all time um, Dave I highly recommend you track down the orange box second hand okay. um, uh, It's got Half-Life 2, Half-Life 2 Episode 1 And 2, Portal The first one, um, which is actually where it came from. Portal is a half-life kind of, not spin-off, it was made using the same engine and it's kind of set within the same parameters, but uh, obviously it's Portal, it's the puzzle game. Um, Everyone knows, you know, with the portal gun, you're aware of this game, aren't you?
0: Of course, yes. I, I've
1: course. played the uh, the
0: demo of Portal 2. Uh, I've not played the full game because uh, it was just so massive and I, I tend to avoid things that people go about until I did this podcast and now
1: I'm all on board. So yes, well, I,
0: I shall make that my mission to find a copy of the Orange
1: Box. Just, just to let the casual fan know why everyone's been waiting for this game so much, Half-Life 2 Episode 2 actually ended on a cliffhanger. Um, it, it was like the middle of a book. It was so the the moment I'm I'm not going to spoil it for anyone, but um, it involves very, you know, all the major characters. uh, It's a big, big shock thing that happens and um, nothing has been kind of developed since since then. So we want to know how it ends. So Half-Life 3 finally being announced. Could this actually be it? I hope so
0: told Jay on pain of death don't mention wrestling this week however here he is another episode of the sticky floor fun emporium
2: hello if you can hear me then I'm probably dead my name's Jay Hodgkin and I'm trapped in an arcade called the sticky floor fun Emporium a dungeon of mystery! special edition of Sticky Floor Emporium I'm talking about my favourite arcade game of all time, WWF WrestleFest. Five cigarette burns out of five, let's not beat around the bush and pretend otherwise. I'm only doing this review because I can't be bothered to play hoary old arcade shite while there's a slutty copy of Grand Theft Auto V laying seductively in my Xbox disc drawer, beckoning me into its realm like a nymphomaniac mermaid that's wearing a low cut top made of shells and it's been on too much bloody Lambrini. Have you seen the detail on those stripper tits? Amazing. Veins. Bloody veins. Anyway, digression. WrestleFest then. The follow-up to the also-excellent WWF Superstars, WrestleFest was released by Tecmo's Japan in 1991. It was sadly the last wrestling title they made before the license went to midway, but I'll get to those games in a later edition. Why is it so good? Well, for one, it doesn't just capture the cartoonish buffoonery of the golden age of the WWF, it absolutely nails it. The late 80s era brawlers are depicted as hyper stylized versions of themselves, i.e. as you remember them. Steroid-addled muscle boulders slamming into each other from a time where firm pecks and minuscule movesets were as obvious as Vinnie Mac's barely concealed throbbing stalk on for superhuman man-mass. The character roster is a who's who of the first boom era of the WWF in that time before those eco-pandas stole the company name. As long as that who's who doesn't include Randy Savage, that is. Whose absence is frighteningly obvious. What's unnerving is the sheer amount of these wrestlers who have died since this title came out. It's hovering very near half the roster. Most of them died in their late 30s, early 40s, which makes this game as almost depressing a denouement of professional grappling careers as Aronofsky's The Wrestler or Ric Flair's life since he retired. Retired, no, I put speech marks on each side. Each of the featured wrestlers perform their finishing with spectacular comedic accuracy. Expect the obese leviathan earthquake to jump around your prone body before he sits on your face in that way that I know you like. The game itself has two play modes. Saturday's main event, which is a tag team tournament and is very similar to the gameplay of WWF Superstars, its predecessor. The aim of this mode is to take the tag team titles off the Legion of Doom and then defend them till you get the big money rematch where you must beat them again and then the game finishes. It's an engagingly fun mode featuring tag team moves and out of the ring weaponry which was pretty novel for the time. The only bad point is the cage matches which aren't any different to the standard matches. The real fun though is that we had in the Royal Rumble mode. The first video game iteration of the best gimmick match that WWE has and it's still arguably the most fun version of it to play even now, despite the myriad titles that have come out since. It's short, punchy and excellent fun, and it chews up the standard rules of the WWE F Royal Rumble and spits them into a saliva-soaked clump on the floor. You can pin people as well as wake them out of the ring, including the weird sight of multiple people pinning the same person, like a playground bundle but with pants on. The whole shebang is riotous fun, from the moment the bell rings to the moment... Mike McGurk, yep, remember her, announces the Rumble winner. It's short, punchy, and excellent fun. It's exactly what an arcade game is meant to be. There's a hilarious attempt at commentary, which just kind of consists of things like To million dollar dream, and hoaxster leg drop. But come on, it was 1991. Disappointingly, only Mean Gene and Legion of Doom get any lines from a recognisable Wrestler point of view, so don't expect the ultimate warrior to start suggesting that you <sniffs> shove the control into a nose dive Hawk
0: Hogan.
2: I'm oh, pleased, don't mistake this with that piss poor cross generational iteration they released for Xbox Live and the iPhone last year. It ate the original almost exactly, but completely lost the playability. I haven't been as disappointed in an inanimate object since my sock sold a kiss-and-tell story of our sexual exploits to the tabloids. So, like I said, five cigarettes burns out of five. It's my gaming wife. But right now, I'm off to finger-bang the mistress in San Andreas. Goodbye.
1: Right, so last week on the Milking It podcast, um, we managed to, to, to get a mention to uh, He-Man, she rather The Secret of the Sword, which in turn... <laughs> led me and my co-host David Davis to uh, have a bit of a chinwag about He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Mm. Um, and I must admit, I've, I've greatly enjoyed going back this week and um, researching for this piece um, because it sent a lot of memories flooding back. Some good, uh, some not so good, um, especially the live-action movie, but we'll get on to that <laughs> Um Just... Just researching this, but I found out some facts about uh, He-Man that fascinated me. Before we get on to the toys, okay, uh, okay. He-Man actually came about after Mattel rejected Star Wars, not knowing that it was going to be the big money-making cash cow that it is. Yeah, that was the sort of uh, Pete Best in the Beatles moment, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was the publishers going, Harry Potter, oh, that's a bit long. <laughs> 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 then kids will buy it. Um, so Mattel scrabbled around for a new line and they became, uh, began work on like a generic He-Man mm. um, and the original casting looked a bit like Conan the Barbarian
0: yes yeah of
1: course so um, the, the people that own the name of Conan the uh, Conan Barbarian um, actually tried to sue and take control of the He-Man license at one point in He-Man's lifeline um, so but I found that fascinating but um, yeah so He-Man started in 1981 um, the majority, the majority of the backstory was um, by a man called Donald F. Glutt, who, after a bit of research, I found also wrote a lot of the kids' TV shows. Uh, just a list of some of the stuff he did: there was a spy, the Spider-Man t- uh, TV series, mm-hmm. Transformers, GoBots, DuckTales. Wow. Yeah, Duck Go-Bots. <laughs> DuckTales, So Sorry, uh, he wrote GoBots and Transformers. No, he wrote lots of episodes for, because he wrote the backstory for. Oh, wow. So he, he actually wrote, like, the backstory for He-Man. Oh, okay, yeah. And yeah. Th- this is just some of the other projects that he'd worked on. Um, X-Men, the, um, the animated series, if everyone remembers that, it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and G.I. Joe. So, I mean, it had a, a bit of lineage behind it. Um, some of these shows after he did He-Man. Um, but the designer, um, was a guy called Roger Sweet. And um, he claims most of the creative rights, although like there was a lot of other people involved, of course. He was the uh, the the toy prototype designer as well, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. Um, but but just a couple of tidbits of facts, but let's get on to the main bulk, David, which, mm-hmm. which we're going to talk about is obviously the toys and the cartoon, of course. So I mean, obviously, um, being the age that we are, we were '80s kids. Yes, um, very much. I know that you were a big He-Man fan, Dave. I was,
0: I was a huge He-Man fan. Um, I was uh, five years old, and uh, in 1985. So work that out, kids. Um, and before that, that I was not allowed figures, quote unquote, to play with. I was not allowed like anything branded in that way. So I, I reached five years old and two things happened that morning. I was five years old. I was allowed to jump on my, uh, my mom and dad's bed and I was allowed to keep my slippers on because that was always a thing. Don't have your slippers on if you're on the bed. But because I was five years old, I was allowed. To, and that's what I remember. That's how daft it is. Um, but the second biggest thing was that I got He-Man and Skeletor for my, f- my fifth birthday. That was my big present. Quote unquote. Um, and that did literally change my life. Uh, and I, I blame it for my complete addiction to collecting things because it was just a money making machine. It was and they've done it before. They've done it since. And you can find various examples of it. But the Mattel "Masses of the Universe was absolutely uh, a parent's nightmare, but a kid's dream, because the amount of toys they made and everything tied into the the, the, the cartoon that you were
1: watching every week, and it was just for me, it was the the greatest cartoon of my childhood. I mean, I know it still happens today, but I mean, for our generation, it was He-Man, Transformers, Mask. Um... Yeah, Mobile Mobile Armored Strike Command against the vicious evil network of mayhem
0: or Venom, as they were known. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And they were helmets. They weren't masks. Who, who Whoa, them? there's no need to be rude. Oh sorry, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um but no, I mean it still goes on today. I mean we had turtles I mean we we talked about this previously, you not so much, but there yeah, was turtles yeah. for us, the ninja turtles, or the hero turtles as they were known to us. But um obviously you know the cartoon was made specifically to sell the toys, and it did a good job.
0: Yeah, completely. It, it, it wasn't, it, you know, was like back in the day where you'd have comic books. It was, it was a cartoon. It was a Saturday morning cartoon, and it was geared towards right. We're going to show Ram Man. There's going to be, uh, you know, Beast Man on there. The Merman's going to be on there. You know, and you're going to uh, Evil Lynn, Oh yes, she's a different color in the figure. What's going on? Um, you know, and you're going to have all these things going on, and you would want that next figure. Oh, Horcrux coming? I mean, what? What the hell? hordak but yeah that's for me it was just the greatest thing of my childhood he-man however unfortunately if you youtube it kids um
1: it doesn't really stand up does it no it's um, the most basic animation i mean well you mentioned ram man i mean there were some terrible names in he-man mm. um modulok i remember there was fisto what uh, <laughs> it, hold on it gets worse extendor We've all been there, yes. Stink or <laughs> again, we've all been there. My personal favourite, Mantena, and uh, and the, and <laughs> and one and uh, one for the ladies. There's Tongue Lasher.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: that's, that's brilliant. <laughs> I remember one. Um, uh, I'm sure he was called Mosquito who was a, He was part of the horde, and um, he had a button on the back and he used to pump the button and his literally all it did was move this liquid round in his chest, it was like a red liquid as if he 'd sucked up the blood of whatever victim he 'd been there because obviously he was based on a mosquito because there was yeah there was yeah the mosquito and then there was um, there was like a leech one where you you put the sucker on and you pressed the button on the back, and it used to pump and suck up
1: the skin and you see, it's... all I got was moss, man. And do you know what his? Uh, do you know what his special power was? He, he sm- had like, <laughs> shitty moss on him. That no, and
0: it. he also smelt pine fresh. <laughs> he, he genuinely did because there was. Yeah, there was, I skunk, was it Skunko or Skunkor? Who was yep. the one who smelt rubbish? And there was Stinkel. Moss Man. Stinkle, oh, There we go. Who a uh, Mossman would counteract that <laughs> if you placed him <laughs> in the local vicinity. But essentially, yes, the uh, his special power was he'd been rolled in moss. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's what you want. Like you have the power of strength, beast man, and you can talk to the beasts. Moss man, what do you do? I'm just <laughs> hanging
0: around on this rock all day. <laughs> you serious moss man what the what the, fuck man? What the <laughs> fuck man i'm just green and furry yes that's that's your gimmick oh, oh fuck <laughs> well you know what a rolling stone get <coughs> <laughs> but i i what was the other one that i remember the other day when i was thinking about it there was yeah there was modulok and uh, i remember there uh, was it, uh, manny faces the guy who of course, because he had many faces <laughs> he certainly did have many faces uh <laughs> there was merman who was uh, oh, he was, was a bad was guy merman. who kind of yep. spoke a bit like krang from the turtles uh, like he got a mouthful of water Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> I remember. There was um Trapjaw with the the various arms you could plug in to
1: Who? Um, um the character of uh, Baron Underbite on the Venture Brothers. Like, again, I don't know if you've seen it. I don't think you've seen no, it. Dave, it has the uh, the, the classic <laughs> trapjaw metal jaw, this character. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, so we've obviously memories of the the animated series and the... Uh, but
0: then, so, the so... Sorry, to... Sorry. Go on, no, please do. No, but... So so the cartoon series, uh, from what I remember, so it, it, that ran past sort of 1985, and the reason I know that is because one of the guys who worked on the animated series was Paul Dini, who went on to do Batman the Animated Series, possibly the greatest animated series to ever be shown on Saturday morning in Kids oh, TV. Um, yeah. But... So there was a crossover at that point when the guys at Mattel went, do you know what? We're not selling many things to uh, to girls. And they went, oh, so what are we going to do in terms to diversify this? They said, well, there's a young female audience out there, but we need to do something different. And they came up with one of the worst Saturday
1: morning cartoons of all time, She-Ra Princess of Power. She-Ra Princess of Power. So, Dave, the co- – the... To give some background, hmm. the car, the animated series of uh, He-Man, the original ran from 83 to 85, as you said, and then She-Ra came about in 1985. Okay, right. Um, well, my memories of She-Ra is Orco. Yes, do, you remember, uh, do you remember the toy of Orko? I do remember the toy of Orko because, for some reason, that was the only She-Ra toy I liked as a child. Not that not that we had girls' toys in the house. I think Orko was an acceptable do you, toy. Do you mean Orko, or do you mean the equivalent of Orko in the she universe?
0: Wasn't it wasn't it like a blue version of Orko, but different? Ah, oh, oh, possibly no, because yeah. I'm thinking in my head, I'm thinking Orko was had that ripcord thing
1: in it when you used to zip it through, and it used to Orko was off. basically like Schnarf from Thundercats you remember he would start the annoying character he had the big red hood yes and the... yeah well it was like he was a magician he was yes. from the, yeah yeah completely and he used to be involved in the thing at the end when
0: uh, fucking uh, Prince Adam and Orko used to walk along and he'd be like hey Orko don't drop litter and they used to do the public service announcement at the end of and of the, course they'd all
1: grab their hips and start laughing
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah completely so I did, yeah sorry yeah because Orko was involved but then there was like a female equivalent of Orko who was um this weird witchy looking woman with the same hat pulled over and the eyes through the bandana zorro style Mm. um whose name escapes me i should bring it up on wikipedia but i'm not because i'm gonna do it from memory um but there was uh, in terms of the toys there was um like a big owl thing which had these massive ears and on the toy it was based around like um you know the the magic eight ball thing of You know, shake it and it tells you the answer. Yeah. You used to lift up the flap on its stomach. Of course. Of course. And it would display different colours depending on the answer to the question. So, (laughs) obviously being... Six years old,
1: seven years old, I it didn't like realise there was a pattern it was, to it. But... It, was like this, it was like an expensive plastic version of that thing that you used to do at school where you get the bit of paper, fold it up so you can put yeah, four completely. fingers in what it. Color and... do you like? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, completely. But this was a lift up my
0: flaps and I'll tell you the future, which has said to me so many times, I've lost count, but... Uh, yeah, I, 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 can't, I can't remember the name of it, but I will look it up in a second while we're chit-chatting. But, uh, yeah. yeah, that was my... But, yeah, the the, the Orco character had a female equivalent who rode a broom, and the broom talked. Oh, my God, I just remembered. The broom talked. It had a face on it. it like, Repressed memories. It looked like John Pertwee. It was bizarre. <laughs>
1: Before before we before I drag out any bad repressed memories, Dave, I thought I'd move yes. on to the live action. Sh- movie. Show me on the
0: she- way. Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. I broke my sword of power R- by, the, by Castle Grayskull. Um, yes, in 1987, a live action movie starring Dolph Lundgren and future Friends alum Courtney Cox was released to, to, to the public. Do you remember the movie coming out? I remember again because I was 7 um I remember uh,
0: Dolph Lundgren being interviewed on the Wogan show uh, I, I, I can literally I could take you back there now I, you I was used to
1: watch a lot of Wogan Dave
0: Yeah because it, that was it was on every night in the 80s he was on every single night and I remember him being on there and them talking about He-Man film and me being so excited because they were making a film of He-Man and they showed some clips from it um, but I also remember the fact that when I watched it, it barely had anything to do with the He-Man that I knew. Obviously, uh, Frank McGillow, uh, Skeletor, uh, as you said, Courtney Cox, which uh, her name always reminds me of the greatest Frank's Skinner joke of all time. Courtney Cox. No, not this morning. Um, and <laughs> uh, uh, Christina Pickles. I remember Christina Pickles as the sorceress. I remember. Well, I remember that name. She probably did nothing else since. But um,
1: so they introduced thing uh, like a character Grildor for some reason. And I was desperately trying to remember his name. This uh-huh. Grildor, dude, he got his own action figure. Yeah, completely with the, with the key with the key that he was doing. Oh, the key! <laughs> oh,
0: the key! Yeah, completely <laughs> just. The most ridiculous moment ever in motion picture history was letting that guy get his own uh, character, um, his own figure. But uh, well, from what they were saying, there, like he should have been Orko, but obviously the special effects at the time, you know, they wouldn't have been able to do it. But yeah. from what, from what I believe, is the financing from the film was done by. Um, this is going to sound so weird because I, I don't know the full details of it, and we, I'd need to look online. But the the people who financed the film were not like um like a big like Warner Brothers. They weren't like that. that they were uh, just two brothers who got together and got the financing to do films, and they made their money from doing things like the Jean-Claude Van Damme movies and those sort of low-budget things that sold really well in Eastern Europe and sold really well in like Russia um, and across the UK as a sort of cult thing and in the States as a cult thing. So they got the money together to do it, and it wasn't backed by a big movie studio but they managed to get it put on. But obviously, they didn't have the money at the time to put into the special effects. So there was no industrial light and magic working on this one. It was literally the most basic special
1: effects that if you watch it, it's done off show. <laughs> I, I I do remember, I think I remember it though with um, kind of a childlike memory because I, I haven't, I must admit, have I haven't seen it in the last 10 years. I think I remember enjoying it a couple of times as a kid. Um, I actually had. There was only three, as far as I remember. There was only three Master of the Universe movie toys released: um, two bad guys and then Grilled Grilledor. <laughs> um, and I actually had one of the bad guys. He was a lizard that, when you press the back, sparks will come out of his mouth. You know, one oh of those my god, toys. yes, I remember that. You used to, yeah, just shoot the thing down. Ah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> memories, Dave. Um A shame that we're getting off the, the old um, the, the live action movie because there's a lot. I mean. It is what it is. It's a bit of 80s schlock, isn't it? Like, that's that's what do it is. Do you know what?
0: And it, it doesn't stand up. It, it, yeah, the, yes, the special effects are rubbish. Yes, the movie overall is rubbish. Yes, the scene where Gwildor eats fried chicken from a bucket, which is clearly mm. advertising KFC, is just the most ridiculous bit of product placement you've ever seen. But do you know what? At the end of the day, if if you're sat at home and it's a Sunday morning and you just want to watch a shit movie then find a torrent or it's never been released in the uk or not recently been released in the uk on dvd it's available from the states but if you can find some way of watching it youtube and then just honestly it's well
1: worth a watch because it's it's the worst but it it does it stands up in a kind of schlocky way why not ruin your entire sunday do a double bill go he-man and then super mario brothers I'd say He-Man, Super Mario Brothers, follow that up
0: with what we were talking about last time, the Garbage Pail Kids. Garbage Pail Kids. And then maybe round it off with the world's worst 80s film for product placement of all time in
1: Mac and Me. Mac and Me, holy shit. Not a dry eye in the house when it was released. It was Not like a, a poor man, dry seat in the house. It was like a poor man's shitty
0: tea absolutely in fact named after et because et's original name when it was in pre-production was et and me and they they took it and went with mac and me and got sponsored by mcdonald's hence the reason why the end credits and probably 70 percent of the film is filmed inside a mcdonald's (laughs) and the the lead character in mac the alien who's come down to earth seems to develop a liking for mcdonald's milkshakes and is seen with that little pursed mouth so you can't he doesn't know what they're made of <laughs> completely i've told you I, i've told you the story about mcdonald's milkshakes before
1: yes Steve, we, i don't know i don't know if it would be slanderous for us to put it back out there on a podcast No, no,
0: absolutely. it's been on podcasts before it's, it's, it's well known out there um allegedly uh, there was a uh, a mcdonald's milkshake moment where um paul Deeney, who worked again, on the animated series of Batman, uh, previously worked on an animated series of the McDonald's characters. And they, they had a, a, a thing where the Hamburglar was, was stealing elements of the food that they serve in McDonald's. Um, So McDonald's couldn't serve this food. So Ronald McDonald was getting up in arms and would have to go and,
1: uh, you know, rest. There's nothing worse than an angry clown. Absolutely. We've we've established this from (laughs) previous
0: But uh, there was a point where the the guys who'd written the script went to the McDonald's guys and said, this this brilliant episode where a hamburger comes down and he steals all the milk from the milkshakes. And they looked at him and went, we can't do that he's like what? What, what what do you mean he said well, because there there is no milk in our milkshakes and that's my story about mcdonald's so sorry <laughs> yes live action movie 1987 uh, my experience of it was uh, i enjoyed it at the time i enjoy it now as a bit of schlocky horror
1: like sort of suburban commando and mr nanny and that kind of stuff so yeah why not moving moving on from the live from the live action movie there was the new adventures in 1990 which was like <laughs> space space he-man Yes, I, he-man I remember, in space all i remember from that series was uh Skeletor was a, like less of a pussy but still a bit of like a bumbling fool um yeah, he was this one. yeah i don't actually think he was um I believe that was the first time they were going to face him out as the main bad guy there was um oh there was like a snake guy king, and, um, not king hiss king hiss was the, in the the main series, okay. I believe that that version was meant to take over as like the main bad guy, ah
0: okay, yeah, king Hicks and, and the snake men
1: were uh, a big deal snake men um, but again, that was very short lived i mean did you did you ever catch an episode of that again, it was to sell the toys i I, I did, and it was shit it was it, it was up shit. there with brave star, it was absolutely the worst it was shit though um so I'm not, we're not going to talk about that for long because it was very short. Um, there was a 2002 relaunch, which yes. unfortunately I completely missed. Oh, I, I, I'm probably one of the few people, and this is,
0: again, I'm sorry, milksters, as we're supposed to call you. Um, I am such a massive He-Man fan <laughs> that I'm getting quite excited about this. I am probably the only person who owns all three seasons of the relaunch from 2002. I ap- did remember that you had them, mate. Absolutely amazing, and just looks like everything you remember the masses of the universe to look like when you were a child. Which, when you watch it now, it don't look like that because the animation was shit. But this was decent animation, really good storylines, redesigning of characters that you loved, and ah, oh, I I cannot say how if you can track it down, YouTube, torrents, whatever. Check it out. I'm sure Amazon still have the DVD in stock. It's it's obviously Region 1, but they showed it on Cartoon Network over here. It, it didn't do well. It didn't relaunch the franchise. The, unfortunately, the sculpts that they did uh, for the actual characters didn't do too well in terms of reselling it, because what they did was make the classic mistake of aiming for the people who liked it before and trying to do a collector's thing out of it instead of saying, well, do you know what? Now we're going to relaunch this as a kids' TV show and unfortunately it just didn't work
1: no it's a shame because it's a good series i mean again something else we've touched on is um there's a few sketches on robot chicken so there i mean it's still out there it's still live there was a an android game release last year which is um a, you know mobile gaming uh, yeah. on mobile gaming platforms that was really cool it was like a 2d side scrolling game where you could play as he-man and she-ra traditional like phone game fair but it was really cool and um it's like He-Man and the Master of the Universe was a really cool um, kind of universe to, uh, to indulge in as a child. And um, I know that there's still comic books made. Um, as I said on the previous Milk it podcast, there's a DC Universe versus yep. Master of the Universe comic out. Um, there's been loads of really cool crossovers. Track them down, Milksters. But um, those are our memories of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe.
0: Jay! Fuck! We told you no wrestling. So why send us this? Your top five matches
2: of all time! Hi, yeah, uh, this is my top five. Um, I'm probably the nearest you're going to get to a casual on this uh, podcast. Uh, You can almost see my John Cena wristbands and T-shirt. Pew, pew, as the rock said. Um, Through the uh, power of your imagination. Um, So I'm going to be quite vanilla with the choices I make. Um, uh, Most of them will be matches you've all seen. Uh, There's one that isn't that well known. Um... But yeah, most of them are WWE. I make no apologies for this. I am uh, a lazy wrestling fan and I want it a hand, handed to me all on a plate. Uh, number five um, is the first major match of my um, TV wrestling watching career. And that is the Ultimate Warrior versus Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania VI. Um You had the great build-up. Um, the uh, Everyone remembers there. And put the plane into a nosedive. <laughs> Oh, Colgan promo. Um, That's one of my Um, favourites. This uh, isn't here because it's a Mac classic. It's clearly not. It's here because it was the zenith, the absolute peak of the era in all its glory. Uh, The drama, the build. Remember, this was a time when um, you just had uh, superstars where basically uh, you Wrestler would come on mid-card, upper-card, come on and just crush a jobber. Um, so it was extremely rare that you'd have this. It was even rarer to have face versus face, and then the two top faces against each other. Um, it was the passing of the torch. It was the most epic storytelling of that era, and you've got to take your hat off to Hulk Hogan for that, because um, he really, really did max out one of his main attributes, which is his storytelling in the ring um to carry the warrior, who wasn't a great wrestler, even though I was a massive warrior mark, um to uh, you know, a very exciting match, probably the most exciting match of that era. Um if you're an older fan, this is why or one of the reasons how you got into wrestling. If you're not and you're in the Attitude Era, you've probably heard about this match. It's that good. It it's it's a classic. Number four is my uh, hipster choice, uh, which is Brian De vs versus Claudio Castelloni, Ring of Honor, 2008, Northern Navigation. Uh, this was a brilliant showcase of two future WWE stars. There's some absolute classic spots. It's a well-structured match, um, well told. There's two people at the top of the game. Um, it's just a pure, great wrestling classic. Um, Hopefully Claudio can push on, Um, now he's Antonio Cesaro, and uh, get a bigger push as Brian, and they can continue their feud at the very top of the wrestling tree. A controversial choice, I think, to some people. Um, This shows my casual um, veins pulsing. Um, This is uh, a spot monkey match, it's the world famous... TLC 2. It's a bona fide rewatchable car crash classic. And you only have to look um, at some of the spots in that match. And you only have to look at the careers of the people involved in it afterwards. Which, um, Devon and Matt Hardy aside, went stellar. Um, You've got Edge, the former multiple time champion. And Hall of Famer, of course. And you've got Christian who was allowed to hold the heavyweight championship for about a week before Vince decided, no, this guy isn't good enough. He's not made out of muscles. Um, And you've also got um, Bubba A Dudley, who's uh, (laughs) the chief heel in TNA at the moment, I'm told. Um, I don't want to be hard on TNA. The other guys are. Um, And then you've also got Jeff Hardy, who... um, for a period in the late 2000s, was the most over-wrestler in the world, bar none. Doesn't matter what you think of him, he clearly was that. Um, from about 2007 to 2008, 2009 actually, no one um, was as over in the WWF as Jeff Hardy. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it was a great match. It's, it's one you can rewatch a thousand times over and not get bored of. Um, a bit of a mess and a lot of spots... But um, all well done, and, yeah, I enjoyed it. And number two, uh, Rock versus Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania 17. Um, I think these two are, you know, the absolute pinnacle of the Attitude Era. I think they saved the WWF between them, largely Austin. But I think uh, Rock's legacy, I think, is cemented now, I think, with his career outside of wrestling. Um, and I think it's the best of their trio of WrestleMania matches. Um, It's on a par in drama terms with Hogan vs. Warrior. Um, I think with the first Rock and Austin match, I think he knew that Austin was going to get it. He was going to triumph over the odds. I think with the last one, it was the end of Austin's career. It was coming to the end of uh, The Rock's career. He went a bit part-time after that, and then disappeared for seven years and is part-time on his return which is understandable. Um, but this was the one. I think this was the the big one, and I think it, it, it is a great match. I think their chemistry and their ability to go in the ring just sets it apart from things like Hogan Mori, because Rock and Austin both were very good wrestlers, as well as being uh, two of the most charismatic men that have ever picked up a microphone. And, uh, yeah, I'm with David on the last one. Number one is the Royal Rumble 1992 He said everything beautifully for me. um, Including Bobby Heenan. You cannot emphasise how strong an influence Bobby Heenan had on this match being a classic. Um, It's not fair to Flair, is it? Absolutely. Um, It had a great roster. There was a load of possible winners who could have won it because the roster was so good at that point. Um, Ric Flair beating the odds by being a, a cheaty heel. It's the best wrestling match i've ever seen and i think because it had the title on it as well i think it it, it gave it even more power and it, it instantly put rick flair over as the top heel in the company uh i cannot emphasize how much i love this match uh, bobby heenan flair um the okay the hogan sid justice ending it it could have Gone better, but um, I think that did kind of emphasize how much of a cowardly heel Ric Flair was at that point. And you know, people outside the WWF might not have known who Ric Flair was at the time. Um, he was famous across the territories, but you know, people from abroad, I didn't know who Ric Flair was, and I didn't follow WCW very much. Um, but he really, it really put him over as this kind of charismatic, cocky, cowardly heel. Um, and you know thought of as one of the best if not the best in the business and uh yeah i i loved it I, you know I, I hated it as a kid because i wanted one of the good guys to win um but you know i loved it It was great and that's all um that's all my uh choices um i hope none of them are too controversial um <laughs> i hope some are really mundane i'm, I'm, I'm the the people's commenter
0: So this week there was uh, a bit of news in the world of the geek sphere. Uh, And that was that when LucasArts was uh, destroyed by Disney, which happened a few months ago, uh, they were working on a Day of the Tentacle HD remake. That might not seem like a big deal to many of you, but to someone like me, who is a massive fan of the point and click adventure, that is a killer thing to hear and see delivered on the geek websites. They were 80% done, 80% done on an HD remake to bring one of the greatest point and click adventures to the world again. To the people who didn't experience it first time round. I could not be more angry, sir. However, I used that anger. I yeah, focused I it. And I'm now going to deliver a little walkthrough, uh, both for you guys who are listening and for Boo Lamont, who I know, Boo, you're, you, you've not played too many LucasArts adventure games, right?
1: Because I'm a Star Wars fanboy, mm. um, my the majority of my experience with LucasArts is, of course, the plethora of Star Wars games that they've released. Um, I do like the odd point and click. Um, I'm sure I've played a couple that you're going to touch on, but um, I, I'm, I'm interested to hear what you've got to say, because I know you're a big fan. Okay, so...
0: Fuck you guys, this is my podcast I'm Indulge me We are now going to go for a little trip To the world of the LucasArts adventure games Starting off We, we start off with the first titled That LucasArts ever did And this surprised me Because honestly sitting down And doing some research for this uh, I never even realised this game existed But in my defence This was 1986 So I was only 6 years old but the, the first ever game that LucasArts did as an adventure game was a game for Labyrinth. So,
1: you must remember Labyrinth, the... The, uh, the, the movie, movie classic. Dave, David love. Bowie, Jennifer... Um, what well, is not to like about Labyrinth? I've, you can't trust someone that doesn't like that movie. Completely. Absolutely. And, and, and the
0: game is... Uh, A very interesting example because obviously i've seen the youtube stuff i downloaded it since i've been playing through but it's really strange because it it starts off as the traditional text based adventure that you would have had in 1986 which was the um, thing where you'd literally have the screen and you'd be like it would describe the room you're in you are in a white room in front of you is a table next to you is a chair it starts off like that, you go through it and enter your name and everything else, and then suddenly you get to a movie theatre, and when you say watch movie, David Bowie's visage appears on the screen. Codpiece and all peace and all, and you launch into the game, which is a full graphical adventure. The interesting thing about this is it was developed by a guy called David Fox. Now, uh, David Fox is very influential going forwards in LucasArts, but the main reason, and Boo, it's very interesting that you say the reason you got into LucasArts, the main reason he did uh, and he wanted to get involved in computer programming was Star Wars. He saw Star Wars age 12 and thought, I want to create that in a computer so he he went to work for Lucasarts because he just wanted to do star wars but never ever worked on a star wars game <laughs> but what he did do was completely transform it was a game changer so the big thing about that was uh, labyrinth was developed by them uh, david bowie uh, he allowed them to use the the uh, the songs that he used everything else in the game so it, it, it was a, a a proper movie full-on
1: movie time
0: yeah completely the funny thing about it as well is also it was co-written by the uh, the guy who wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy one of the greatest English comedy writers comedy minds Douglas Adams so <laughs> we go from that which that worked that sold that made a name for themselves so it established LucasArts as things. so their number two in 1987 was Maniac Mansion So there was no music in this. It was a silent game, if you ever played it. It was on the big old uh, four-and-a-half-inch floppies. So it was set in a dark Victorian mansion. There was a mad scientist, his strange family. They had to battle against aliens. But the the important thing is it was the first uh, thing that Ron Gilbert ever did for uh, LucasArts.
1: Dave, am I right in thinking that this is the game, it came out on the NES, and when it got um, brought across to the NES, they did all the quality testing, and um, they had not uh, removed the ability to put uh, put the hamster in the microwave, mm-hmm. and um, that caused a bit of contra- uh, controversy yeah. when it was first released on the, NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System
0: this is it they only ever developed for either dos or c64 at the time Mm. so they were developing for these home quote-unquote pcs and unfortunately they were giving people the freedom to do stuff that they probably shouldn't have given them the freedom to do so when you gave them a home entertainment system quote-unquote with the nes yeah it did cause a bit of controversy but it was it was the first time that they uh, they had the interface called Scum, which was the uh, script creation utility for Maniac Mansion. That was the engine they used. Uh, so it, it took things away from before, where you had to type in everything. And anyone who's ever played those early games, where you had to go left or pick up wallet, you cannot pick up wallet. It, yeah that was annoying, but they gave you literally the verbs, so the verbs came up on the screen and you just clicked on them in terms of what you were trying to do, and you linked them together so
1: that was then used for most of the LucasArts arts games going forwards. Um, I believe that one of the only two there was two games that didn't use uh, from the point and click that didn't use the scum system right. But we'll touch on those when you get onto them, obviously. Yes,
0: they'll be much later on when they go into the Grim system. Ah, indeed, sir. Yeah, I'll see after my research. Oh, me. <laughs> so the uh, thing to note it, with uh, uh, Maniac Mansion is it's the first fully graphic adventure game ever done. Okay, it was a game changer. Its influence is it's one of those that appears in game after game. So to the fact that it also ends up appearing as a whole game within a game when the sequel comes out but we'll get to that in just a second mind-bending isn't it? so the next game that comes out is uh, Zach McCracken and the Alien Mindbenders which is another David Fox uh, creation but with Ron Gilbert so it's the first game with music that LucasArts ever do so yes it's MIDI but it's groundbreaking because up until that point you did not have music in a point-and-click adventure it's sci-fi point-and-click it's the most interesting thing, unfortunately, about this game, because it wasn't that brilliant, is that the cover art for the game, for the box, for the, um, for uh, the, uh, I'm trying to think of the word. <laughs> so the most interesting thing about this game, unfortunately, because it wasn't particularly brilliant, was that the cover art was done by Steve Purcell. So Steve Purcell is the man who would later be the man behind Salmon
1: Max. I would have thought the most uh, disappointing thing of the game uh, would be the fact that the title character is called Zach McCracken. Yeah, unfortunately, it, it, it's not
0: one that I've played, so I can't really comment. But generally, reading the reviews, looking into it online earlier today, it, it did not receive good reviews. It, it was a bit of a McCracken. So it, their fourth release in 1989 was the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So there we go can we just say it was really good it was an absolutely brilliant game i remember playing it on the amiga uh it was the upgraded scum interface but it allowed multiple ways to solve puzzles so you could either choose to do it by force so going in and shooting away or you could do logic and you know do things the other way so yes big thumbs up for indiana jones and the last crusade after that uh 1990 brought loom uh, To be honest, I don't really know what Loom was. I've not really played it. I've read a bit about it, seen some stuff on YouTube. It's something so good that apparently you can still download it on Steam today. Uh, But it was a much more serious game. It was a much more complex sort of fantasy story. It's it's not really my thing, but it was notable for one thing. It was the first game to adopt the Lucas Arts philosophy, and the Lucas Arts philosophy was you can't die, and you can never be forced to restart the game. So for that. As far as I'm concerned, Loom is important. Okay, so so then we hit the 90s. Um, So 1990 is one of the most important games in in terms of my history of playing games and also in terms of the games that LucasArts did. 1990 was The Secret of Monkey Island, the first in a series of games that would change the way I look at gaming. So it introduced, obviously introduced the world to Guybrush Streetwood and, you know, obviously there was Elaine Marley in there, the Chucks in there, uh, the, the Voodoo Lady and all that kind of stuff. A, a special treat If you had the CD-ROM version, because obviously it was available at that point, 1919, let's not kid ourselves, kids, um, it was available on disc and CD-ROM. If you had the disc version, there was MIDI music. If you had the CD-ROM version, oh, you've got actual music played by instruments. Can you believe it? But again, Ron Gilbert, Tim Schafer, Dave Grossman. Dave Grossman, probably the first time we mentioned him. He later went on to work and be a major force behind Telltale
1: Games. Now, Telltale Games, I do know they yeah, yeah. they they're, they're behind the uh, the brilliant Lego series of games.
0: Completely, but but also they've had a, a big influence in terms of uh, just gaming generally uh, in bringing in people who were previously involved with Lucas Arts into yeah those games. So. Number seven on my list is Monkey Island 2. So 1990 followed up in 1991 with Monkey Island 2, The Chuck's Revenge. So this was uh, Ron Gilbert's last work. So Ron Gilbert created Monkey Island. That was his vision. It was his characters and everything else. So this was the last time he'd get to work with them. He's, he's gone on record of being quite bitter about the, you know, the follow-ons and everything else. However, I have to say it, unfortunately, they've been pretty good. And those characters do carry over if other writers write them. So don't tell Ron, but it seems to be okay without him. But Monkey Island 2, The Truck's Revenge. So there was an HD remake in uh, 2010. You might have played that. But this was the first one to go outside of the previous world. It's the only one that's been released um, under LucasArts that didn't go into Monkey Island. It went to Fat Island, Booty Island, Dinky Island, etc. So the, the, the curse of Monkey, Monkey Island, it might not be quite what Gilbert intended, but Monkey Island 2 did lead to it. And as far as I'm concerned, it carried on. I didn't know as a casual gamer, I didn't give, I didn't give a fuck what was going on. Um, in 1992, a very quick mention for Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. The only reason I mention this is, again, it used the, the scum controls, and it was a, a, a big favourite of people in terms of the way that it played. And the only really interesting thing, though, for me, is that it's the only original, 100% original story to have Indy featuring Harrison Ford outside of the movies. Sounds... Number nine on my list is The Day of the Tentacle, the sequel to Mania Mansion, Um, 1993. So um, it's the first ever LucasArts game to have a full voice track. So every single character is voiced. And I cannot describe how amazing this game was for me. So, Boo, you must have played this game.
1: I did play Day of the Tentacle. In 1993, LucasArts came out with two of... Pretty much my favourite games of all time. One was, of course, Day of the Tentacles. we were talking about. Um, and yeah. Just another one was uh, it was released on the con- on what was in the home consoles, which was the SNES and the Mega Drive, which was Zombie Ate My Neighbours. Ah, oh, you ever wow. play that? No, so no, yeah, that, no. It's that, awesome. that was LucasArts That was top. It was um like a top-down game where um you went and rescued like your neighbours and um. It, you, Killed like zombies. It was very movie inspired, but it's um, very much like Day of the Tentacle. Day of the Tentacle was classic. Um, one of my favourite point and clicks. That, as I said, I've not played many, but um, yeah, really humorous game as well. I remember it being very funny. That's,
0: That's it. I think you've got the fact that the the graphics are so enhanced on it compared to what's gone previous and you've got the the cut scenes that are just really well animated it's like it's like playing a cartoon so you've got you've got the three main protagonists bernard hoagie and laverne they've got to stop this evil purple tentacle like i said the evil scientists in there you've you've got time travel so one of them goes to the past one's in the present one's in the future and they're, they're all influencing events to to allow the others to do things and honestly i can assure you that even in 2013 you will enjoy this game so if you get a chance to download it or or just rom it or whatever you can do honestly it it is absolutely brilliant and the fact they were nearly 80 percent into doing a remake of this game like a remastered hd version to play on your ipad or or whatever the fuck honestly that It genuinely hurts me because I I just wish more people could play this game. Ten on my list um, is Sam and Max Hit the Road. Now this, as much as I love Day of the Tentacle, Sam and Max have a very special place in my heart. Based on the 1987 comic by Steve Purcell, who you'll remember we mentioned just a few moments ago. Um, Basically, they brought it to life. Again, a full voice cast. Again, in 1993. So in the same year, they released uh, not only Ma- uh, Day of the Tentacle, but they also released Sam and Max and Zombies Killed My Labour, as Boo was just told about. So uh, Sam and Max are the freelance police. They're going after the missing Bigfoot from the local carnival. Uh, they have to travel around many roadside attractions to solve it. It's it's a more adult tone. It's about the interaction between Sam and Max. It's been the interaction between them and the various weirdo characters. It looks beautiful for the time. It, it plays wonderfully. The soundtrack is amazing. Honestly, everything about this game. Please tell me, Boo, you have played Sam and Max Hit the Road.
1: I definitely <clears throat> played Sam and Max Hit the Road. I really um, I played the, the the Wii sequels that came out. I watched the mm. animated series, and recently, Dave. Uh, Sorry to go off tangent slightly, Um, I've been playing Telltale's Poker Night uh, 2, where you actually play poker against Sam. Um, And um, you also, the the opponents in this game are Sam from Sam and Max, Ash from the Evil Dead, uh, Brock Sampson from the Venture Bros, Mm -hmm. and Claptrap from Borderlands. And uh, and your dealer is GLaDOS from the Portal series. Jesus. But it's, uh, it's got an anniversary for, for Sam and Max. They've got an anniversary theme deck and and everything. I think it's a um, 15-year anniversary since the first one from when this game came out this year. Um, but, yeah, Sam and Max, definitely big memories for me. Really good good game. Absolutely. I mean, well, the, yeah, 20 <coughs> years now? Even, yes, yeah, the 20th anniversary. Yeah, 1993,
0: which is insane. But the first official sequel, I remember, yeah. uh, was... Again, they said it was going to be Sam and Max plunge through space. It was going to be on the original Xbox, uh, but unfortunately, the company who were going to do it, they went bankrupt, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, the usual story. And then I remember 2005, um, the um, the license ran out, and Telltale Games got them. And do you know what? It, it, if you haven't had chance to play the games that Telltale Games have done with Sam and Max please just go and enjoy them because they are absolutely brilliant they are perfect examples of episodic gameplay and how you can make it work make it fun and sam and max hit the road for me the original is brilliant if you get a chance if you haven't played it again download the rom or you know get it off ebay get it off wherever you can it is so worth playing it's a perfect example of a great game The next one on the list was, uh, no, unfortunately for me, I didn't really play it. I don't know whether Boo did. Did you ever play Full Throttle?
1: Yeah, Full Throat was awesome. The, the, it was a point-and-click adventure where you played as a biker. Yes, yeah, completely,
0: which which didn't surprise me when Tim Schafer then went on to do Brutal Legend with Double Fine and that
1: kind of stuff. But, yeah, it, it, it really didn't appeal to me. So, Sorry, just before you get off of Tim Schafer, they all, he also made Psychonauts, which was one of the... Yes, yes. Which was just an amazing game, which deserves a sequel so badly. Um, if any game deserves a sequel, it's Psychonauts. Sorry, going back to Tim Schafer yeah so so talking about full throttled, uh, what was your experience that um a, a friend of mine had it and we used to play it after school and um, if i do remember it was slightly adult for, for our age yes um, yeah it was a lot darker i believe he had a shotgun as well and um this was you know round about the same time as mortal kombat so these violent games were getting in um mm. but i remember it having a fairly interesting story i'm not sure i followed it completely because it was more adult and i was fairly young when it came out fair enough uh
0: 1995 uh was the dig now uh the dig's are, the dig. a, a difficult one they so they started developing it in 1989 um originally steven spielberg was involved but by the time it came out he effed off and was onto to other stuff uh so it, for me personally it wasn't good it was a little bit dull Considering Industrial Light and Magic did all the uh, sort of special effects for it, these are the guys behind Bodger Rabbit, Star Wars E.T. and stuff, really couldn't save it. I do not remember The
1: Dig as being a great
0: experience.
1: No, I never played The Dig myself. I know, again, it was one of these more adult, difficult games (laughs) um, at the time. So... 1995 closed, they took
0: a year off. LucasArts did not release anything in 1996. 1997 came around, they used the final game to use Scum, which is the Curse of Monkey Island. So, right, Ron Gilbert not involved, which is quite strange for a Monkey Island game, but it was still, as far as I was concerned, as a consumer, very funny, very cool. And it looked like a fucking cartoon. You were playing a cartoon. The graphics were so good. They changed the uh, interaction. It was still the the, the final one to scum into uh, interface, but it was absolutely brilliant and just really good fun. Really, really funny. The voice acting was absolutely perfect. I remember noting that one of the voice actors was the same guy who used to do Scrooge McDuck and this, that, and the other. So that was the last game they ever did to use Scum because they moved on to a 3D graphics thing, which was called Grim. And that happened in 1998. And that happened with, without a doubt, my favourite point-and-click adventure, which unfortunately changed the face of Point and Click Adventures, which was Grim Fandango. (laughs) So Grim Fandango changed to 3D graphics. It was 3D graphics against a 2D background, and it was essentially a a film noir set was like 40s style. It was all based around Dia de los Muertos. It was The the Day of the Dead. The Day of the Dead. The Day of the Dead. And a beautiful-looking game. The soundtrack is... N- I, I challenge anyone to find a better soundtrack to a game than is uh, Grim Fandango. So they retired that, put in grime. There were no hot links. It was literally you'd walk around with this character and instead of hot links, he would look at something that you could look at or interact with or do something with. And that was a, a very different kind of look. Tim Schafer left... He had, uh, you know it, it was his final work and unfortunately it didn't sell as much it should have done and uh, boo did you play grim fandango
1: i loved grim fandango oh thank I you thought, my friend i thought the art style was just immense and oh, um wow. and it was so atmospheric and yeah, i actually liked the 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 3d 2d um backgrounds and um it was really engrossing um really uh great story i love the characters um yeah like i've got some good good memories of grim fandango unfortunately these days computers are too good to run it but if you can get a decent dos emulator um you can still play grim fandango it's something i've actually been meaning to get back onto because i never finished it um but now in the age of internet and strategy guides i reckon i might have a chance it's it, it it's one of those that
0: yeah it came into criticism because the the puzzle's too hard or this the you other know, but um I can, from experience, say there are some really good emulators and you can run it and it is just absolutely perfect. Like I say, the the soundtrack is great. The acting is great. The the ideas are there. It's spread across four years. It's a proper deep film noir. If you like the Maltese Falcon, if you like all that kind of film noir stuff, then it is perfect Casablanca or there's references there. It's just perfect. And, you know, it it is such a shame that at the time it didn't do enough business to, to keep Schaefer LucasArts. Obviously he left and it it didn't get good reviews. And they said, you know, camera angles are wrong and this, that, and the other. And unfortunately the, the sales weren't there. So, you know, Grim Fandango should have been like, the greatest moment, but unfortunately it was the moment that killed the adventure game at LucasArts because at that point LucasArts said, right, that's it, no more. (sighs) So for the ones I've mentioned, all I can say is if you're on PC or Mac, download Scum, download Grime, there's emulators there, there's ROMs there, they're free to use as long as you're not distributing them. Google it, enjoy the classics because honestly... without a doubt LucasArts have provided the world with the greatest point and click adventures they're so much fun they're really funny the humor still stands up the animation is still absolutely mind-bending considering they were trying to fit it on a floppy disc as opposed to a hard disc so get on board
1: see what you can do and please enjoy and this week, we join Jay Hodgkin again as he delves into the background and origins of secondary characters you might not know the stories of. This week, The Roach from Wally.
2: Today's backstory is How the Cockroach from Wally. So what do we know about Hal the Cockroach from Aldi? We know he was a loyal little fellow, living with a cleaning robot and his time with a trash covered ruined earth. He was named Hal after a movie producer from the silent era called Hal Roach. Apart from that, we know Diddly Swivel about that FACKING cockroach. Yes kids, that was a bad impression of Scarface. An entirely different film, in an entirely different genre. <laughs> Howe was born in a popating egg sack with 8,000 siblings in an old wild golden retriever carcass in the soiled nappy-strewn relic of Solly Hole. He had chewed his way through the old weathered remains of the festering canine to get that first glimpse of smog-smattered sunlight. After consuming 15 or so of his other weaker youthful cockroach brothers, Howe took to the skies using his Tejmina wings, creaking with half-digested baby roach each beat of his tiny wings click-clacked against his hard shell. Eerily reminiscent of the noise created by the wind-disturbed hill of skulls underneath his body, these were the remains of survivors that missed the by-and-large corporation's starliners, and the skulls were being dutifully arranged by the remorseless, uncaring ranks of warly droids. Now, without vegetation to feed on, it was Hal's elders and ancestors who had chewed through the meat of these poor unfortunates, sometimes before they'd even stop moving. These people were the disabled, the poor, and the ethnic minorities. You know, the sort that Walt Disney wasn't overly a massive fan of during his life. Hal flew from trash can to tin to twitching, distended former cat, eating what he could, where he could. Occasionally, How would mate, further securing the reign of the cockroach as the new master of this desolate, ruined landscape, left unchecked, by man in the 700 years since the Starliners left the atmosphere. Being roaches, the sexual intercourse was instinctual rather than romantic, with Hal and his sexual partners touching tails for five loveless seconds, back to back. Hal deposited his seed into the carapace of his paramour and flew away with the minimum amount of fuss. They never even made antennae contact. One day, a wildfire, as untamed by man as the roaches themselves, suddenly swept through the ruined, Solly hole landscape, wiping out Howe's entire brood and extended family of 15 billion-odd roaches, leaving Howe as the sole survivor. I wouldn't feel too sad. He's a roach. Soon, he met Woolly in what was left of Reading Centre, and they formed a bond based on a symbiotic requirement. Woolly would find Howe food, and Howe exploited Woolly's flowering personality. Though not through sinister choice... ...through survival instinct. He's a bloody roach. After Wooly returned from the Axiom's ship with the obese human travellers... ...Hal died a few days later... ...because he's a cockroach and they don't live for very long. As he lay dying, he released the last of his mating pheromones... ...which caught the wind and eventually attracted every cockroach colony... ...to the area that the humans were terraforming. Eating the crops and eventually the children... ...eventually snuffing out the last spark of humanity... And so that's the made-up backstory for this week. It was of Hal the Cockroach. I hope you enjoyed this beautiful, charming extension of the Wally franchise. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.
0: So, that was episode five of the Milking It podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the uh, topics that we've tugged the teat about this week. Thank you for uh, following us on Facebook at forward slash milking it, or, of course, on Twitter at teat <sighs> All that's left is for me to
1: say thank you for joining us. I'm David Davis. And I'm Boulamont. And hopefully we will uh, be in your ear holes next week.
0: You want to milk it and you know.
1: Didn't you know